0: Good morning church. Good morning. It's good to be here. Uh, it's a, For most of uh, the people around here it's kind of a blast from the past for me and my wife. Uh, you know we've been in different settings together and the Lord just kind of works things out where you get to see each other and it's like a reunion. It's a family. It's a family reunion and so I thank you for uh, just loving up on us. I know my wife and I both feel really good when we come around and you guys uh, You know, just make us feel special, far more than we deserve, but uh, we say thank you, and that's part of the body. If you're here visiting for the first time, or uh, you're you're not uh, a follower of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter, you're in family, and we want you to feel that love, and and we want to encourage you as we go through uh, the scriptures to think of what God wants here, and what He's doing. It's an amazing process, and I have no regrets that 30 years ago I said yes to Jesus Christ, and that... He changed my life. We have no regrets whatsoever. Amen. Well, uh, Joe, I want you to feel good in that uh, last week when I gave the lesson in the valley, I sat down when I was supposed to give the communion. <laughs> so um, I know how it feels. Oh, yeah. It happens. Yeah, and, um, but today uh, I'm coming to you with a lesson that was on my heart quite a long time ago. But uh, I gave it last week in the Valley, and then one of your uh, members, well, a set of your members, uh, Masood and his family were there, and they said, you got to do it, you got to do it again. And then a lot of other people said, do it again, do it again. I'm going to do it again. Okay, so you're going to, we have a series going on in the Valley, and I'm the ninth installment of it. It's been going on for a while. Yeah, yeah. And it's called Essential Spirituality, and we each get to pick something that means something to us, and um, I picked, don't be wise in your own eyes. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? I'll talk a little bit more about that later on in the lesson, but um, I I want to uh, share some things that have been uh, pretty much on my heart, and uh, it feels good, it just feels good just to be among family and sharing. So... um, before I even begin, I want us to kind of preface it with a story that we've been captivated for uh, a couple of weeks here. Um, you may recognize this as the uh, 12 boys that were trapped in a cave in Thailand. And the, it was on the news every single night. We were all worried. I got involved listening to it and, and praying for it even. Uh, 12 boys ages 11 through 16 and an assistant soccer coach. Uh, decided, he decided, that it would be a good team building activity to go splunking, cave exploring. And um, they did that, and they got two and a half miles underground. I've done splunking, um, natural anters type splunking, uh, I've done it both. Um, they were crawling through passageways that were very claustrophobic, I mean, real tight, and to go two and a half miles underground, that's really far, that's huge. And then it rained, which it does almost every day in Thailand at this time of year. Um, And so they got uh, flooded. It was dangerous. It was a very, very dangerous thing. We were all worried about it. Uh, I'm sure that there were plenty of prayers going up saying, please rescue them. Uh, They found where they were at, first of all, because there were bikes. They rode their bikes to the mouth of the cave, so they knew which cave they entered. Uh, They didn't know that they went that far underground, and uh, it took it took 140 divers, divers guys, um, from six different countries to rescue them, and it was a uh, pretty long project, they were stuck, some of them were stuck for 18 days underground, I know, and um, you know, they were crawling through passageways like that, um, it was tight, it was... All flooded. It was bad. The the twelve of them, um, the thirteen of them, were stuck on a little ledge above what would be a lake of rainwater. Uh, they were lucky that there was still air. There was an air pocket. Uh, they didn't have any supplies. I think that uh, one or two candy bars. That's about it. And they were there 18 days. Uh, there was impact, but I'll talk about that later because I'm going to talk about a case in point. From the scriptures, and I'll relate it to this uh, this episode that we all took part of, and um, it's in Judges chapter twenty one, verse twenty five. But before I read it, let's pray. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for uh, blessing us today. Thank you for the service; it has been a great service, Lord. I just really uh, was brought closer to you, and I know I know that the singing was meant to honor you and to glorify you, and. That, Lord, it touched my heart, and I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. They're good brothers and sisters. Bless them and their families, Lord, and I I want all their kids to grow up to love you. I want them to all marry disciples. I want them to know the full blessing of what it is to have a relationship with you, and Lord, if there's anyone here in this audience who doesn't even know you, I pray that today will be a deciding point for them, that they will uh, process the whole thought that you have designed us to be in relationship with you. Uh, for that, Lord, I ask you to, to guide me with your spirit, and may I say the things that make, may it make sense, and may it represent you well. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay. So, Joe, thank you for this opportunity. Absolutely, Absolutely yes. And I do remember that, mo- that, that time uh, over our house. Yeah. Yep, potato bars. They can save people. All right. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And every man did what was right in his own eyes. Let me give you a little history here. This was taking place around 1300 B.C. Joshua had just led two million Israelites out of Egyptian. Well, actually, Moses led them out of Egypt. And he died in the wilderness 40 years later. Joshua did the rest of the work. He brought him into the promised land. And uh, they had settled the land. And he had commended to their consideration what it meant to be committed to God and not to be like the, uh, the pagans that lived in that land prior to them. And so this is taking place 1300 B.C., There was 330 years before King David came around, and he brought, of course, Israel into another um, level of spirituality. But for 330 years, what we have here is kind of a sad period in Israel's life. Uh, They were going through a cycle. Basically, uh, the children of Israel would uh, forsake God and then uh, imitate imitate the Canaanites and the, and the Moabites that were around them, the Philistines. They would imitate them, even to the point of worshiping some of their gods. And, um, and so they, you know, they followed the people that were around them. They were in, influenced. And finally, they ended up, and the cycle seems to run its course throughout these 333 years, um, they surrendered their freedom. The Philistines start ruling over them. Uh, the Moabites started raiding them. And they were distressed and they were captive in, in their own land. They outnumbered these people, you know, two million to who knows what. But they ended up subjugated. And they cry out to God, oh, God, rescue us. Please help us. I'm stuck. This is horrible. You know, uh, and, and each time God will help them. He'd send a judge. He'll send Gideon. He'll send Samson. And these guys would wrest them away from the, the pagans that were around them and, and liberate them and they would go back to worshiping God and then the same cycle occurred again and again. It's, it's amazing to see that. And we can criticize the Israelites for that if we want, but in reality I'm here to tell you that we're no different. Right. <laughs> we're, we, we are these people yeah. to the core. We have the same DNA, guys. It, it, it's amazing to see that. But I, I am amazed that God would rescue them each and every time. And uh, even though they traded one king, they traded the true king, God, who rescued them who got them out of Egypt from being slaves. And they, they settled for little kings, uh, king, you know, Philistine kings and Moabite kings. and oh, yeah, These were nothing. These were nothing. They settled for that. They, they traded one king for another. And those little kings didn't love them. Didn't take care of them, took advantage of them, everything. It, it was bad. Okay, well, let's turn our attention to ourselves. Because we have an American dream here. Okay. We live in a culture that is not much different. And um, in, our, in our view, when you look at Judges chapter 21-25, where it says, you know, in those days there were no king and... Um, Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Let me rephrase that. Let me just simply say, you know, there was no moral binding consensus, no moral authority in that land, and every man used his own moral compass. And we can apply, if we, if we translate it that way, we can apply that directly to our culture. You know, we have a moral compass too in the United States. Um, it's I want to do what I want to do. I don't want you to tell me what to do. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it with whom I want to do it with unless it hurts someone. Some, we put a caveat on the end. A lot of people do. I'm convinced, I'm convinced that we're selfish enough that that last little phrase, unless it hurts someone, we throw that away. We sometimes don't care about that. We're that selfish at points. But let's, let's be gracious as we talk because I want, I want to love up on people here. Uh, uh, let's be gracious enough to say that we don't want to hurt anyone. Right. Okay. We want to do what we want to do, but we don't want to hurt anyone. Okay. And, and when you're dealing with the American dream on that level, uh, you're thinking in terms of two things, you're thinking of freedom and you're thinking of rights. Yep. That's us. Okay. But it's still judges twenty one twenty five. It's still that. And, you know, with the story that we started with, the, the, uh, assistant coach, when he took his team into the undergrounds there, the, the head coach didn't know that, they they're a soccer team, and uh, he didn't know that his assistant coach had those plans. And he was surprised, and, and for 18 days he was worried that he wasn't going to have a team to survive this. And, um, and someone did get hurt. One of the rescuers died. He, he, he ran out of oxygen as he was swimming in the passage. He died. He was a volunteer. He was in his 60s. He was a Navy SEAL in Thailand's uh, military, and he died. I know. I, I, I don't know how, you know, if you were a member of that soccer team, you probably had some thoughts about this, okay? And they did. They did. I don't want to make a too big of a deal, but there is a correlation here that, uh, that the phrase that we're trying to come true, unless someone gets hurt, doesn't really happen. Everyone gets hurt. Okay, let let me talk about this, okay? Let me talk about freedom, okay? Freedom works a little bit, it does. Give people freedom until someone else's freedom infringes on your freedom, okay? Then it kind of clogs up a little bit, you know? Um, I find it funny that at that point when freedoms collide, Uh, we make appeal to a higher authority. (laughs) You know, Uh, C.S. Lewis said that in his great work, and I commend it for your reading, uh, Mere Christianity. He said, you leave a seat in a theater and you come back, someone's sitting there, what do you say? Oh, that's my seat. As if there's a rule that's floating out there, a, a God even, that, that, that you're appealing to. You just threw off, if you're a freedom lover, you just threw off that moral authority, but you come right back to it if someone's infringing on your, your freedom. And you say, you should know better. You shouldn't sit in my seat. Uh, my, my son was supposed to save it for me. You know, and uh, you know, stuff like that. You make an appeal to something outside of them and outside of yourself that's higher and more authoritative. You know, you make that appeal. And uh, you even try to make it sound absolute, you know. But um, we do that too, we do that on all sorts of levels. We have smoking laws, okay. Everyone's free in the United States to smoke if they want to, there's no one telling you not to smoke. Okay, except in a building, except in some certain places outdoors, because there's thousands of laws related to that. You know, uh, you have a right to smoke, I have a right to breathe free air, and sometimes that collides. And so, uh, in California particularly, it started off with hey, we got to regulate this. We got to change things. You know, uh, someone once said, in making the appeal to the uh, Sacramento at that time, they said, having a smoking section in a restaurant is like having a peeing section in a pool. That made enough sense that they made the law out of it. You know, that don't, you can't smoke, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You notice the water temperature rising. Uh, it ruins it for everyone, okay? What, the point I'm making is simply this, is that when you have uh, a moral compass that's uh, it's wrapped around your desires, someone's gonna get affected by that, okay? Um, You can argue with me that sitting in your home uh, with the computer looking at porn doesn't hurt anyone. You can argue with me on that. I will say it affects you. And that's someone. You should be someone. It hurts you. Someone's getting hurt. It also hurts the people that produced it because they're commodities. It ruins marriages. It makes unrealistic uh, expectations happen. You get addicted to the... The oxytocin that 's generated by watching it, uh, all sorts of things are happening. Never mind the fact that it 's lusting right. and, and that that divides you and God right. Right. It does have impact. you know um, There was a movie critic who um, once told this story he said uh, his six year old daughter came home one time and asked him, "Daddy, would you would you?" Um, Uh, spend a night with a woman, sleep with a woman for a million dollars, besides mom. And he looked at her, and that's from the movie uh, Indecent Proposal, yeah. Which, I didn't see it, but, you know, and neither did this guy. The movie critic said, I wouldn't let my six-year-old see that movie. He says, but it's the neighbor's kids watching it that polluted her that brought it up to her and she brought it to me and it gave me an opportunity to talk to her but I didn't want that. Right. You know, I was forced by my culture that's being polluted. It's like a smoke sack in the middle of the valley. Everyone has to breathe the air that's right. belching out the smoke. Yeah, you know, I, I have to breathe this porn because someone else watches it. And, and you can tell me to turn the channel. You can tell me not to go to R rated movies. You can tell me a lot of things but it's still there that's right. and it's getting impacting on us and infringes on us and says you know as long as as long as that exists and it's a well protected freedom um, it's going to have impact and it will hurt someone it will okay we went to World War II with this guy here Hitler because there was a moral authority that we believed in he was doing things he should have known better 65 million people died in World War II because this guy wanted to do what he wanted to do. He wanted to conquer lands beside him. He wanted to get rid of Jews. He wanted to do a lot of things. And we said no. We said no to that. And so, again, it just goes to prove, or at least gives evidence for the fact that if your desires are your moral compass, someone will always, always get hurt. And it's because we trade God are king for little gods. That's right. We're trading him for greed. We're trading him for lust. We're trading him for any sort of appetite. And these little gods don't love you and won't take care of you and they will hurt you. That's a great point. Okay, so let's, that's freedom. Let's talk about rights. Okay, again, the same thing happens there. When my rights compete with your rights, who is right? Uh, when rights collide... The phrase is, courts will decide, okay? And that's why in Sacramento we have 7,000 laws made every single year. Keeps on adding, keeps on as if we don't have, you know, enough laws. But you have to make a law after law after law for every single circumstance when you have rights that collide, okay? Even in the Bible, we have Ten Commandments, which are beautiful and wonderful, but they're followed by 613 other commandments on how to follow them that's what the Jews had to contend with okay that's the results of having rights you have to make laws and um, the thing about laws is that it represents the minimum okay you know how low can I go It's what it's really saying you put a speeding limit sign out on the freeway there 65 miles an hour you're saying to yourself how fast can I go before I get a ticket okay (laughs) Well, it should be 65, technically it's 68.2, okay, because they figure that an average car has that much of a discrepancy in the speedometer, okay. I don't, don't go out and find out, (laughs) I heard that from an officer one time, that's all, okay. (laughs) Okay, so you know he can't write you up for 66 miles an hour, you know that, and so you tend to do that, okay. But the fact is that laws cannot inspire greatness, excellence, or virtue. They can't do that. They're not meant to do that. That's not their purpose. And um, even though you have thousands and thousands and thousands of laws, you still have problems, okay? You know, a law, even though you have laws from Washington and Sacramento, the rich will still strive to rule the poor. Women will still be a commodity. Children will still be victims. If it's legal, the culture will say it's moral. Mm -hmm. And everyone looks for the loophole. That's what you have, guys, in our culture. And our framers of our culture, you know, the Bill of Rights, the guys who wrote that uh, over 200 years ago had some thoughts about this. They really did. When they wrote it, they knew what was going to happen. Um, they knew that basically rights were given by God. That's what I am so thankful for in this country. There's many countries that don't even know that or think about that. But in the United States, the framers of our Constitution and the Bill of Rights is the first ten amendments of it, uh, gave us freedom of press, assembly. We can assemble here and we can worship God. Isn't that cool? No one is telling us not to do that. Okay. Okay. we have the freedom of religion, we have the right to have bare arms, or bare arms, either way. Uh, <laughs> right of due process, the right of jury trial. We have the right to be free from search and seizure, and we have the right to be secure from cruel and unusual punishment. You have the right to remain silent in your case, okay. <laughs> um, the fact is this. Uh, they knew that was, uh, these are God-given rights, that's what they had in their hearts when they wrote it, but every single parent in this audience knows that if you give a lot of rights to your children without responsibilities, you're going to lose it. And the phrase, being wise in your own eyes, came from that lesson in Raising Kids God's Way, uh, when you said you give a lot of choices to your kids, you wake up in the morning, what do you want? You want Banana? Do you want blueberries? Do you want this or do you want that? Do you want red color green color? If you get a lot of choices to your kids before they're responsible for uh, doing things, uh, they become wise in their own eyes. They develop their own moral compass and you have to contend with that. Okay. Yeah, and so that was a great eye-opener for me because, you know, I like to give things to my kids, my grandchildrens especially, but rights without responsibility is ruinous, okay? And the forefathers knew this. I like to look at John Adams in particular because he did not have slaves. He did not believe in slavery when the Constitution was written. He was our first vice president uh, with George Washington as president. And he became our second president. And he said this, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious person, people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. He knew that. We don't have a Bill of Responsibilities, because it's assumed. It's assumed. The framers of our Constitution said, these are for people who are under the rule of God. Right. These are people who care about other people. That's They had to assume that. They could have written up a, a whole big thing about responsibility, but they did not want to do that. But they knew where the spiritual emphasis was here. And so, with that thought, I like to really read Proverbs chapter 3, where the phrase does come from. And sometimes we forget what precedes this phrase about being wise in your own eyes. It's a great verse that we all know. It says, "...trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding." In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. And then it says, do not be wise in your own eyes. We, we, we kind of mentally, we separate those two thoughts, but they're really joined together. And so I, I want to look at this, kind of wrap it up with some practicals, okay? Um, the opposite of being wise in your own eyes is trust. Okay, it's not being dumb in your own eyes, it's the opposite of being wise in your eyes is trust. Okay. First of all, trust God. You know, if there's anyone here who's going through the studies right now and looking at the issue of following Jesus, I think you need to take that step of trust. I did thirty years ago, my wife did. In fact, it's been a great roller coaster ride, hon, hasn't it? Together. In fact, come next week it'll be forty years together. And um, she's the apple of my eye, but we decided the same night to put our trust in Jesus, and we were baptized together. It was great. It felt good. It was a wonderful gift to us. I've not looked back on it. It's not blind trust. It's evidential. There was reasons for me to believe that God exists. There was reasons to believe that the Bible was reliable. There was reason to believe that this would have been a better choice than what I was already experiencing. A lot of you guys just need to look at your own life and say, what do I have to lose? I'm really a mess. Try this. It won't hurt. It really won't. Okay. What do you have to lose? So trusting God is the first step. Then trusting your spiritual leaders, that sounds kind of scary at times. All right, because you're now taking your trust that you have in God and you're using it to form a a relationship with people who are leading you. People. Again, it's not blind. I'm an elder in the church. I'm capable of sinning, okay? And I would want you to, if I did sin or hurt your feelings or do something to you, I would want you to just put your arm around me and walk with me and share your feelings, okay? And if I, and I'm promising this, if I don't listen to you, I may not agree with everything, but if I don't listen to you and uh, take it in and try to process it, uh, you can step on my toes, okay, at that point. But um, the fact is this, this is part of God's plan, guys. It works together. It works together. And, and, and God's taking frail, sinful people and putting them together and says, make it work. He does that with marriage. He does that in the church uh, relationships. He does that. He knows something that we don't know. He knows that he will intercede and bless us if we do trust. It may be a little scary, but it works. And uh, the other thing is trust in your spiritual teammates. Okay, Not just your leaders, but there's disciples throughout the whole church that you need to be hooked up with in an endeavor to win this world for Christ. Okay, It's like we're climbing Mount Everest and we're all tied together. Okay, we're, we're, There's a rope between me and you. And the fact is, is that if you're not having your quiet times and doing what you're supposed to do and things like that, if you're not doing that, it's kind of like a person being out of shape trying to climb that mountain. And you could slip and fall and drag down a whole team with you. It's dangerous. Yes. So trusting your teammates means you're trusting that they're getting close to God. You trust that you guys are getting close together. You're trusting that you're having your purpose in mind. Um... And getting rid of the wisdom that's in your own eyes and looking to the others and having them put some things into your heart, okay? Uh, I see that in marriage. Uh, whenever my wife and I had any bumps, we went to people that were having blessings that were married and doing doing better than us, and we listened we sat at their feet. Please, let the blessings rub off of, of, off, off of you and onto me. You know, we did that with parenting. Same thing, you know, when our kid decided to send it up as a teenager. Yeah, he did. He did, but he'll tell. Yeah, you know. <laughs> we sat at the feet of people. <laughs> Mike and Jeremy grew up together. They, they, they know what I'm talking about. They know what we're talking about. Hey, but we love you. Yeah, it was, a, it was a journey. It had its ups and downs, but we sat at the foot of people, the kids who were older, You know, we sat at the foot of the the bears, Al and Gloria Bear. Gloria Bear just went on to heaven just uh, last weekend. Okay, guys. But Al and Gloria Bear, and a lot of you know who they are. Their kids were um, grown up and doing great. And so we looked at that, and when we had a need, we sat at their feet and said, Please rub off on us. May the blessings just pour out. Okay? We're getting rid of the wisdom that we have. We're just shoving it out there. You fill it up. Fill it up with what God has given you. Okay. And so putting trust into the hearts of your teammates. You need to be doing that, guys. And not thinking about how wise you are or how good you are or anything like that. I want to share. I'm going to close with sharing an example of that that happened for me just just a few weeks ago. Uh, I went up to my dad. My dad is a disciple up in the Antelope Valley. He, uh, some of you know who he is. He's very bold, very zealous, and uh, not afraid to speak his mind. Uh, he, uh, he's 89 years old. And I went up to him and I said, Dad, would you like to go on a road trip together? Because I wanted to have a moment in time with my dad in which I said to him things like, you're a good dad. You know, a lot, a lot of people don't have that opportunity. You know, and a lot of our dads went on to their destination and glory and things like that without us being able to do that. So I didn't want to lose that opportunity. And even if, uh, and those of you who are sitting out in this audience don't have that opportunity, realize you have an opportunity to be the person that this dad is supposed to be, okay? You have that opportunity to be that dad or that mother and uh, be that for others. But the point I'm making is this, that I had an opportunity to divest myself of my own thoughts and have my dad put things in there. He's, he's a teammate, he's a spiritual teammate, uh, who has invested in me for 66 years. I'm 60 years, 66 years old and I took my dad on a trip, a road trip, he wanted to go to Mount Whitney. This is a picture he took with his cell phone, we were in the Alabama Hills praying for an hour on a rock looking up at those mountains, that, that is awesome. We went to every single spot, he wanted Mount Whitney, he chose Mount Whitney. And he, there were spots around that area that we had memories of. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a rock that we sat on overlooking a pond with trout swimming in there. And we had a prayer time there. We were reliving the memories. And it gave me the opportunity to say to Dad, uh, you're a good father. You're a good father. You taught me a lot. Mm-hmm. You know. And, uh, and so each of these shots are... Uh, Places that we were at that brought back memories when I was a kid. And my dad was really good about making memories. And, um, here we are. yeah, selfies. Each of these spots we had a prayer time at. And then we even had time to walk a little bit on a trail that we've been on many, many, many times. He's 89 years old. I wasn't going to take him to the top of Mount Whitney. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would usher him into heaven at that point. I'm sure, uh, <laughs> but he did hike, you know, 9,000 feet. He did a quarter mile. You know, that's nice. Yeah, that's nice. But more importantly, we prayed. And in God's economy, when you divest yourself of your own interests, God's blessings come to you. That's right. You know what he did? He chose a passage. At each of these spots, he had a different scripture. Um, in one spot, he brought out the, the baptism of Jesus. In another spot, the transfiguration of Jesus, which God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, who I love. Uh, this is my son who I love, who, in whom I am well pleased. He did that to me. And then uh, and he's into all sorts of Old Testament things. I, I did ask for a, a blessing uh, from him. He gave me a patriarchal blessing. He read... He read uh, Isaac's rendition uh, blessing of Jacob and his kids and he did that for me he prayed for me my wife my son my son-in-law my my two grandchildren he prayed for them he prayed for them to uh, grow up to love God and to win souls Uh, he prayed for the grandchildren to marry disciples he prayed he was very specific and he he had his hand on my shoulder and then just like Isaac did to Jacob he kissed him on the forehead and, um, and I just want to be half the man that he is. Amen. Okay. I just want that. And, and I realized that, um, this is an example, nothing more than an example of divesting yourself of your own wisdom and allowing God to fill it with something else, with someone else's wisdom. And of course, my dad is very wise and I am going to be like him because I I've vowed to God to, to imitate him more. Uh, I still have that opportunity. You know, And he's, he's 89 years old, but he's baptized his neighbors on either side of him. He lives in a senior citizen uh, apartment complex. He's baptized these 75-year-olds, and uh, <laughs> these young whippersnappers, he calls them. And uh, he studies the Bible with everyone uh, in that complex, and he's as bold as brass. I want to be like that man. So, the commendation to you guys is, are you willing to not be wise in your own eyes. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.